0: Welcome back to Spectrum Sundays, where we introduce different professionals and self-advocates who play an important role in the autism community.
1: And this week, we have a very special guest, Sue Abramowski, who is an avid self-advocate who has uh, has a voice at many different tables to support the autism community, and she also works tirelessly to support individuals on the spectrum through many different organizations providing direct care. So, Sue... Can you give us an introduction of yourself and what clubs or activities that you're involved with?
2: Sure. I've been active in the the self-advocacy game for about the past six years. That's when I received my autism diagnosis. And it was at that time that I was looking for an in-person autism group, and then I discovered that ASI, Autism Services of Western New York, had one. So I joined that, and it was through being a member there that I became very impressed with the organization and got to know the executive director very well. And after several months being in the group, I decided that I wanted to seek employment through the company because I've been I've been working in human services since 2004, and I have a passion for helping other people. And I decided that I wanted to add something more to my plate in the field, so I interviewed for a few different positions and then I got a position as a DSP in their after school program. So I really enjoyed that. I don't currently do that as I my schedules change due to my other jobs, but I still pick up respite with a couple of the kids and I work relief in their group homes.
1: Yeah, that's actually how I met you was through after school and then um, that's where it all began. Mm
0: Well, it's safe to say that you're very involved and we're excited to dive deeper into what your experience has been and what all you have to share with our audience. And on Spectrum Sundays, we also like to share all different perspectives of autism. So before we really dive deep into this, we want to make sure that we are addressing you how you feel respected the most. And we know that there's different labels for autism. So there's person-first language, which would be saying person with autism, and then diagnosis-first, so autistic person. And there's a lot of different ideas around this type of labeling. And we just wanted to know before we got started, which one you prefer, and and maybe explain why.
2: Personally, I prefer identity-first language, that is autistic versus person with autism. And that is because, especially through talking to others in the autistic community, to say with person with autism implies that autism is something that needs to be separated from the person or it's something that you can just pick up and put down and walk away from like an accessory. Whereas to say autistic, it means it's a part, an integral part of your identity and it's one of the many facets of what shapes your personhood. So therefore I always refer to myself as autistic versus a person with autism.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. It's kind of a touchy subject I've learned just in my advocacy work, because so many different people have different ideas about it. So Mm -hmm. we want to just make sure that we're respectful and ask somebody first, how do you prefer to be addressed? And I think if anyone's watching, that's something that they can do too, rather than just assuming someone prefers to be titled this way or another and just having an open dialogue about about that kind of conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you for that, Sue. Um, we also know that you have a background in social work at Buffalo State College, and you've used those the skills and knowledge that you've learned from college in your daily work. Um, as an autistic person, what are some of the challenges and strengths that you had while learning in that college environment?
2: I think, well, basically, My college experience, I actually had a different major for the first three years. I majored in biology education. And then it just got to the point where I just learned that that wasn't my niche. And I knew that I always wanted to help others. And I just, even when I was working at McDonald's, my favorite part of the job was interacting with the regular customers, talking with them. And I just, I really learned that I had a passion for working with people. So I decided to change my major to social work about, it was after the first three years. So my last two years of college were spent as a a social work major. And I found that I don't really think I had too many challenges. Once I was in the major that was really my niche, I felt that the material came pretty easily to me. And I also felt that I wasn't distracted by a lot of the things that like some of my peers were. For example, I never got into the whole partying thing. I've never been really swayed by peer pressure. So I didn't have those distractions going on. I pretty much was able to focus on my studies and then my work in the field as I started working in human services in 2004, as I had said, I was working as a DSP at a group group home at that time. So I really was getting a lot of experience. So it was nice.
0: So you did mention that you work as a direct support professional with children and adults with special needs through several different organizations. So we Mm -hmm. wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. Even though your experience with autism may be a lot different than the students and the people that you work with, do you feel like this gives you a unique perspective um, versus a neurotypical, neurotypical direct
2: support professional might have? I definitely think so because it allows me, like, for example, just thinking back to the kids in after school, some of them had sensory, either they were sensory seekers or they had sensory issues. And I think it gave me a bit of a perspective as to what they might have been going through. So, and then just it helped me to form a connection. I was able to establish a, a rapport pretty quickly with them. And I definitely just think that I was able to think outside the box and relate to some of their experiences.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. and that's such an important part of our jobs too, is being able to empathize and sympathize with those who, who we are working with, even though we might not have the same diagnosis or it might not look exactly the same. Um, it's important to be able to still build a really trusting and healthy relationship with our students.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, So with a lot of our students, a majority of them are boys because autism is diagnosed more often in boys than it is in girls. So as a female, you're a really great advocate for the community because you give a different perspective on what autism looks like and can be like, especially in the Western New York area, you have such a strong voice. Um, So for our viewers who are still learning about autism, could you explain what the differences and similarities between males and females on the spectrum
2: are? Well, basically up until recently, it had been the fact, as you said, that more boys are diagnosed than girls. And it's not so much that it's more prevalent in boys, it's just people have, what they've been looking for, have been what are stereotypical male autistic traits, and it's becoming more and more known that there are many females who are autistic as well. It just presents differently in girls. Like for example, special interests in boys, sometimes it looks like things like trains or sometimes things that like most kids wouldn't typically be really into. Whereas with girls, sometimes it might look like horses or dolls or things that are like stereotypically typical for a girl to like, but they're just, the level of really being into it is higher. And then girls are also more able to mask. Personally, I've never really been one to mask because I've only known how to be one person and that's myself. But a lot of girls from an early age learn how to mimic their peers and are able to sort of like be a chameleon as they say. So a lot of times in girls, it isn't picked up right away. Like in my case, I flew under the radar until I was 31. So it's just the way it presents, it can be totally different from boys to girls.
1: And I'm so glad that you are, you always have been so unapologetically yourself, and I always appreciated that and loved that about you, and I, and so I'm still learning from you because you just never conform to what society tells us that we should be or that we should act, and I'm really glad that you stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself. Thank you.
0: That's fantastic. And when we think of any young child just growing through school, it is so easy to kind of fall into that. So knowing that there is a masking aspect, especially maybe among girls with autism, that helps us as advocates talk about it a little bit more openly and more often. That way, maybe we can pick up on those things earlier on and know that our girls are getting and receiving the services they need just as much as boys that present with very stereotypical and kind of screaming autism from what we have been taught as a society to recognize as autism kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So thank you for sharing that perspective as well. And we wanted to ask you if you have any ideas of misconceptions or stereotypes about autism that you think are important to clarify for our viewers or something that you just want to speak up about that is seen as a misconception or a stereotype?
2: Well, for one, there's the misconception that autism looks a certain way. So there will be a lot of people who say upon finding out that either myself or anybody else is on the spectrum, oh, you don't look autistic. It's like, what does autistic look like? We look like human beings. Mm -hmm. And it can look very different from person to person, but at the same time, there's no look to autism, so. Just because somebody's making eye contact or is a very social person, like I've always been a social butterfly and I've really never had too much difficulty with eye contact, that still doesn't make me any less autistic. I still have enough traits that I, I have a diagnosis for a reason. So, therefore, I have a certain amount of traits that are ticked, as you could say, to warrant the diagnosis. And other misconceptions are, another one is that autistics are not very social people. And again, like ever since I was in preschool, I've been a social butterfly. I've never been afraid to talk to anybody. I've always loved chatting with people. And while there, it is true, there are autistics who might be shy or might not connect socially as much. There still are a lot who are social people.
0: Right, and we speak so much as advocates about those early signs of autism, and those usually fall into the category of what is stereotyped for autism, and oftentimes what is usually picked up in young boys, so mm-hmm. knowing that you clarifying that the idea of social skills being a deficit for children with autism isn't always a characteristic of autism, but it's at least somewhere to start and something to look for at the beginning. hmm Thank you for that. Sure.
1: Yeah, and Megan said earlier that we're advocates for the autism community. um, And that's because we're Miss America Organization title holders, and that is what our social impact initiatives are based around. So we try to empower our youth to create a kinder and more accepting community. And we hope that stories like yours will actually encourage our communities to celebrate the differences between each other um, and be more confident in who they are. I've already gotten so many messages from other advocates Uh, sorry, messages from other um, viewers who watch advocates like yourself explain their stories, and they have been telling me how helpful it is on their own personal journeys. So what you're doing right now definitely has such a huge impact um, beyond just the three of us, beyond just your community, and that's why we love being title holders, because it really brings all the communities together. So if you could give any advice to your younger self or to our viewers, what would that be?
2: I would say that you are who you are for a reason and that everybody's created with a, with a different purpose in mind. So yeah, basically everybody has special talents, everybody has special gifts. And while one person's life might look totally different than another person's, it doesn't mean that they don't have as much to offer as the next person. And I would just encourage people to capitalize on their strengths, work around their hurdles, because as human beings, we all do have challenges and hurdles. But at the same time, we have strengths that need to be harnessed and then we can flourish to our highest ability.
0: Absolutely, I that actually reminds me of a quote. It goes something like, um, we need to make sure that we're focusing on what children can do rather than what they cannot do. And I feel like that fits perfectly with with what you just, um, your testimony of honing in on your strengths rather than focusing just on your weaknesses. So that's a great piece of advice. Thank you for that. Thank you. So as we mentioned, we are Miss America Organization title holders. And if you're not familiar, the Miss America Organization is a scholarship-based organization. But we are also fortunate enough to be advocates for not only higher education, but also causes that are near and dear to us. And Francesca and I have a passion for working with families and children with autism. So if you haven't heard of the organization before, we wanted to ask if you have any impressions of the organization, and then also if you think that title holders and other advocates can have an impact
2: on the autism community. I think it's a great program, and I definitely think that it can have an impact, just getting the word out there doing different things to encourage others who are autistic, as well as people in their lives who might be either parents or caregivers. Like I just think that the more we put ourselves out there and the more we spread the word, the more we're going to make an impact.
0: Right, there's actually been a few different self-advocates who have been individuals with a diagnosis and then they've focused on that as their platform or their social impact initiative. And Mm -hmm. like you said, capitalizing on their strengths and not framing it in a way that, oh, I'm autistic, but I can also be this. It's, I can be this because I am autistic and because I have these strengths and I have this much to contribute to the world in this organization.
2: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Great. So of course, awareness of autism is really important but so is acceptance and making accommodation for those who have unique needs. Um, So what are some ways that you can suggest for uh, our viewers and neurotypical people so that they can better accommodate and encourage acceptance within their community?
2: I would say let the person kind of take the lead, see where their needs lie, see how they prefer to be addressed and interacted with, and just realize to realize that everybody is different and to just kind of roll with it. Like just because somebody might do things a little differently than you or me doesn't mean that, I'm trying to think of how to put this, it doesn't mean that they're any less. It just means that they look at the world through a different set of lenses and just to be mindful of that.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think we're so conditioned to think that there's one way and a perfect way to go about living life and becoming successful in whatever it is that is your your niche, but it's, it's important to keep that open mind to know that people take different routes and people have different needs. And that doesn't mean that they're not worthy of the same type of success or the same type of life as other people. It just looks different on every single person. Mhm. So I'm very excited to be talking with you today because I've heard so many great things about you through Fran. And she shared that you're involved with a lot of different self advocacy resources and organizations. So could you explain more about the importance of self advocacy and share some of your favorite resources or organizations for our viewers?
2: Self advocacy is very important because it's a way to stand up for the rights of people who are autistic or have any other diagnosis for that matter. It's basically putting yourself out there and telling the world that we have the same rights as anybody else, and we are deserving of those rights. And it teaches other people about various diagnoses and how to include, a lot of it is about inclusion, just how to include everybody and to respect everybody as an individual human being. Some of the organizations that I have personally taken part in, I've attended self-advocacy meetings through the Self-advocacy, it's Santa Self-advocacy of New York State. I've attended some of their recent Zoom meetings, which have been awesome. And then right for Autism Services, right through them, I've done a speaking engagement on Asperger's along with the head of the training department at the time. And I've also participated in a question and answer panel with three other members of the Asperger's group So just getting out there and teaching, educating people, I think, is a really helpful thing.
0: Are you familiar with the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network?
2: Yes, I am.
0: Okay, another quote that popped up as you were talking about self-advocacy is, nothing about us without us, and I think that really speaks to when we have self-advocates in this atmosphere and in this community, it's one thing when there's people fighting for them, and that's, a phenomenal uh, allyship to have, but then once you bring in someone who actually experiences X, Y, and Z and can speak on that particular circumstance, whatever it might be, that way we can enact change in policy and in government and all of those things that can really trickle down and help fully affect and contribute to people who have that diagnosis and their success.
2: Totally. I also belong to several autistic Facebook groups as well. So Mm -hmm. when you mentioned ASON, that's one of the groups that I'm very familiar with through Facebook and I've made friends in the autistic community all over the world and it's been great just getting to know different people and learning more each day.
1: Right, it's a community for sure. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So um, as we're wrapping up, I'd like to know if there's just one takeaway that you'd like our viewers to remember about the autism community, um, what message or idea would that be?
2: I would just say that again, everybody is who they are for a reason and it should be celebrated. It shouldn't be like was mentioned before. I don't do X, Y, and Z in spite of being autistic, but I do some things I I excel in some areas because of it and just to remember that, again, autism doesn't necessarily look a certain way. It's different in every single person who is on the spectrum.
1: Yeah, and that reminds me of what Temple Grandin uh, talks about too. Um, I know Megan and I have talked about Temple Grandin on our our channel, the series before, and Mm -hmm. she talks about how She has been so successful, even within her career, not just her personal life because of her diagnosis and it has allowed her to become more, um, more efficient at her job because she can see those patterns. She can relate to the animals that she works with. And, uh, that's the reason why she is so famous and so successful. And Mm -hmm. it's really amazing when people are able to say that. Um, so thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing that.
2: Definitely. Well,
1: our
0: last question for you is if you just have any thoughts that you'd like to share with our viewers, either about autism or anything on your mind.
2: Well, the one thing that comes to mind is the fact that we have the COVID epidemic going on, and I just want to remind everybody that everybody handles that in a different way as well. For me personally, with, I have three jobs, so it's been keeping me busy. I'm working from home for my full-time position as a behavior management coordinator, but then for autism services and also Living Opportunities of DePaul, I'm working in residential. So I've been working in the houses all along. So that's been keeping me on my toes. It's been keeping me able to engage with people because I thrive on socialization, as I had mentioned before. So I've been handling it pretty well, but there are some people who the isol- to whom the isolation and especially for like the kids who, are, who typically attend school or the people who, atip, who typically attend day program, they've been out of school and out of day program for over three months now. And that can definitely cause a lot of feelings of cabin fever as well as just not being in the routine. So it's important to remember that some people might not be taking it as well and to be there to support them and make sure that you're offering them plenty of activities and stimulation.
0: Very good. Thank you for sharing that. It's definitely important to keep in mind that as we continue to navigate this pandemic and the virus, because as we know right now, it's unfortunately not getting much better. So keeping that in mind going forward and maybe even just stepping outside of the box, thinking outside the box and wondering what we can do to make it easier on individuals who might be negatively affected by it more than others. Definitely. And do you have any social media accounts
2: or somewhere that our viewers can follow you on your journey? I do. I'm on Facebook more than I am any other platform. I'm just under Sue Abramowski. And I'm also on Twitter and I am on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Geek 83 And my Twitter is audiforlife 83 Fantastic.
0: Well, I hope everybody watching Please go visit Sue's page and follow her on her journey. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us today.
2: Anytime. Thank you.
0: Alrighty. Thank you everyone for watching. We will see you next week on Spectrum Sundays on Sunday at one o'clock.